You're listening to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn, and as is so often the case, today I'm joined by Guy Cortan. Guy, how are you? Matt, how are you doing on this lovely, shall I say, springtime day almost? Yeah, it is getting that way. The slow bloom of uh, trees, flowers popping up from there hibernation, the hoarding of inventory just in case of uh, future trade policies. Wait. Ah, yes. What's up with that? Yeah, it's kind of like the squirrels hoarding nuts and other things, but that's usually in the fall for the winter. But I think you're right. I think the analogy makes sense. Yeah, so the the hoarding, which is fascinating because I just read an article in the Wall Street Journal, as I think a lot of our viewers are aware, a lot of disruption going on right now. In particular, in Europe with Brexit. And I made a a really bad joke. I was in Europe on uh, a few weeks ago on the 28th of March. And all of a sudden I said, well, isn't the UK supposed to be out of the European Union today at 11 o'clock? And somehow they still were part of the European Union. But I guess that Theresa May got an extra uh, two weeks or if not a month extension. So I'm sure they'll work out all their issues that they haven't been able to work out for the past three years. So I think, you know, give them another two weeks and they'll be fine. But uh, yeah, from a supply chain standpoint, I think it's something that we constantly have to be looking at right now because it is the big, in my opinion, big story for Europe and for the world, really. Yeah, this is something you've been keeping your eyes on for a while now. And like you said, it's not like this is new news. I guess that with many policy changes, uh, just like with many supply chains, you don't build it overnight. But clearly, it seems that they've reached this inflection point where something has to happen. What's the sense that you're getting from what you're reading and researching out there from the people that you're talking to about how businesses are aligning their supply chain for the various scenarios that could play out? Yeah, you know, it is something that, again, it's, it's, we go back to, I think it was June 2016, right, when they, um, the surprise vote, if you will, that I think it was 51.9% to 48.1% that the UK would leave the European Union. So we've had all this time to plan and businesses, I think, have been struggling to figure out what exactly do they need to do with regards to this possible change. But I think what's happening today as we get even closer to sort of the the final step of, of actually having a Brexit, whether it's a hard Brexit, a soft Brexit, or even, heaven forbid, they do a second referendum vote and somehow decide to stay in the European Union, but we won't talk about that because I think it, it, a Brexit will happen at some level. But we're seeing some companies, and this article is fascinating, and the mention in the, in the Wall Street Journal, and the article headline, I think, is perfect, right? It says, fearing a non-deal Brexit, British companies hoard like it's wartime. And that just connotes so many vi- you know, visualizations of wartime England, of hoarding, of rationing, you know, of people wearing those soup bowl helmets and, and just trying to hunker down and survive something. And I think there's something to be said about that. You know, we're seeing more and more companies literally hoarding, whether it's raw materials, whether it's hoarding finished goods, you know, and even with labor, right? What do they do with labor? Trying to figure out what no one else can figure out right now, which is what will this look like once the UK leaves the European Union? And I think that's the part that from a observation standpoint is fascinating, but obviously it's also very tough for the people on the ground and from supply chains, I think it's incredibly difficult. It's not the fact that the European Union and the UK are going to split. It's all the unknowns. And the fact that this keeps dragging on just adds to this confusion and this you know, real dilemma that supply chains face as to, well, what is it that we have to do? Because you know, 
in a few weeks here in, in, in April or even leading into May, all of a sudden the UK might leave the EU or all of a sudden the UK decides to stay or all of a sudden the UK leaves the EU but on friendly terms or they leave and have a what's called sort of a Norway type deal or a Canada type deal. Now, what does that mean for these companies and supply chains? And I think that's the part that is probably you know driving a lot of these supply chain professionals and business people really crazy right now. Yeah, it's a big shift. Like you said, it's not like it's been happening overnight, but the scenarios are such unknowns. It's hard to model, I would imagine, a supply chain for all of the ifs and thens that uh, that are occurring. And as we know, it takes months and months often to align that inbound supply chain to get the inventory just right for what you have planned out to match the demand that you've sensed. What I wonder is, is this going to necessarily help anyone in the supply chain if they are in fact hoarding materials or finished goods within that country or what happens if this scenario changes again it seems that inventory can be a burden and in this particular case there's still a lot of unknowns absolutely and i think it's it's interesting because there's one data point i was reading that this whistle manufacturer called j hudson and company in in birmingham has stockpiled six months worth of metals right brass and other materials you know, that's sick. That's half a year's worth of raw material for manufacturing. And I think we all know in the supply chain space that manufacturing has moved and constantly pushed to become more lean, right? On the contrary, we don't want to hold that much raw material. We don't want to hold that much, you know, capital tied up in raw goods that we have to store and we have to figure out, you know, when can we start producing it and using it. So what we're seeing with Brexit is this, you know, sort of turning the, the time clock back on supply chains. And instead of embracing things such as lean manufacturing and trying to be just in time, now we're saying, well, no, no, let's go back to the old, old-fashioned old ways of hoarding a number of raw materials, in this case for this whistle manufacturer, right? Six months worth of brass and other metals to hold that inventory so that if a hard Brexit or if a Brexit happens where we no longer get access to these raw materials for weeks or months on end, we have enough to keep our manufacturing process going, right? Now, think about that in today's environment. I think it's it's hugely disruptive. It's hugely costly. And it's a massive gamble. To your point, what happens if, you know, Brexit happens and things continue to flow normally and there's no disruption? Now, all of a sudden, you've got companies like this who are stuck with a glut of raw material sitting on their books, sitting in their factories, sitting in their warehouses. What if the orders dry up? What if they don't have the same amount of orders, right? All these things that we deal with on a regular basis, now you're adding this element of, you know, you've hedged your bets. Maybe you hedged the wrong way. How do you deal with it? You know, and I think those are the aspects. And and one of the things that, that I've read too, which is fascinating, is the United Kingdom has a shortage of EU certified pallets. So when you think about that, all of a sudden now, you are not going to be able to ship products between the two you know, to two parties between the European Union and the United Kingdom if this happens just because of simple things like a pallet. And, you know, it's easy to, to forget that when you are part of a, of a group, the European Union, you don't need to worry about these things. But all of a sudden now you have this issue where, you know, you have to deal with these pallets. So now if you're in the supply chain, what does that mean for you? You might have all the finished goods ready to go. You might be leaned out. You might be, you know, just in time, but you don't have the pallets to put these products on to ship them to your markets on mainland Europe. You know, talk about a massive disruption from that standpoint. So how do you deal with that? Can you 
Do you ramp up the production of pallets? Do you go out and order more? I mean, from what I've read, there just physically aren't enough pallets out there to meet the needs for the United Kingdom. It's amazing. Yeah, but it is those small factors that can add up and become a big time disruption. So even if you have the inventory and are able to produce and have that bump for at least a little bit of time, assuming there is a disruption, there's this other factor. To me, it seems that it's not necessarily sustainable to approach it this way over the long term, whether it is hoarding raw materials or lining things up for eventual export, the regulations may change. It sounds like it could also be a big issue with supply, whether it's got to do with logistics and carrier capacity or something as simple as a pallet. So what are alternatives, I guess, to this approach? You know, obviously there's a pragmatic side to this, um, preparing for the worst, preparing for the most likely and most devastating scenarios if this happens. But is there a way that you can start to align the supply chain to keep your costs down and, and at least keep things moving, even when you have tariffs or trade policies or manufacturing um, issues that are going to arise over time? Unfortunately, there's no simple answer, right? And I think we've said that on this podcast many times when it comes to a number of supply chain disruptions. But a disruption of this magnitude, when it's when it's sort of A, self-inflicted, B, it's created by, you know, humans because, hey, humans voted for this. And in a way, it, it was, I don't want to say predictable because we couldn't predict the outcome, but at least it was planned for, right? We knew when the referendum was called for, we knew what the circumstances were, we knew what the outcome could be. I think a lot of people didn't think it would be this way, but we, we have what we have. So I think from a supply chain standpoint, you know, if we sort of take out Brexit and we just look at it from a standpoint of, again, how do you deal with disruption? How do you take advantage of disruption and how do you mitigate your risks? I think that's the, the mentality that supply chains need to take. I think the the ability to do that is easier said than done. I think a lot of times, you know, we can sit here and, and pontificate about what you should do and what you should think about. But on the ground at times, I think the reality is much different. Having said that, you know, I think for us and I think when we look at it, I think the important thing again, and, you know, we're going to sound like a, a broken record here, but I think it's true. It's it's first to have, you know, the the clearest visibility you could possibly have on your supply chain, right? Your suppliers, where you're at risk, what tier one, tier two, tier three suppliers, distribution network, where your customers are, where your customers are going to be. I think to have that that constantly up-to-date sort of image and understanding of your entire supply chain is first and foremost key just for general supply chain business, but honestly for these disruptions, I think is even more important because the second part is to really be able to assess you know, as an organization, you know, where, where you can mitigate your risk, what you can do. I mean, take, for example, with Brexit, and it's not as easy, again, easier said than done, but I know I've talked to customers who said, you know, they employed a strategy of having one distribution center, let's say in Manchester to handle all of England and all of Europe. That was pre-Brexit. Well, if you know Brexit might be happening, you know, start planning. What does this mean if it happens? What does this mean? Now you've had three years to start acting on it, what does this mean for your distribution? Do you need to start, you know, A, looking for another distribution center on mainland Europe to handle that? Do you need to figure out if you can still handle all of the European distribution from Manchester based on whatever new tariffs or regulations might come in place? Is there some goods that you might have to move to mainland Europe because they're more fast moving while you can leave some other goods in Manchester and just deal with the delays that might happen via Brexit? 
So again, I think it's it starts with that visibility, that understanding. I think it continues with you know looking at what if scenarios and start to plan for it. And I think third is to have in place with both teams and people, but also you know the the actual physical logistics, right? Whether it's you know transportation, warehousing, distribution, storage, all those things, have a plan in place to understand what exactly can you do if and when a disruption such as a Brexit occurs. And again, I know it's it seems a lot easier to say than to do, but I think if we take the term Brexit out and just insert a term, you know, pick a generic supply chain disruption, then I think you can relate to a lot more from our day-to-day supply chain activities. Sure. I mean, it does make sense to have that connectivity and that digital modeling and sense of who your supply chain is or who other suppliers are. Can at least have you able to be agile on a so-called um, rainy day when right, these things happen? Right. <laughs> you know, there are the small effects that have a big impact all the time, whether it's a factory fire or a uh, storm or, or other uh, of the um, kind of common disruptions. But yeah, like you said, it can be as simple as something as pallets that makes that difference. And so understanding whether there are alternate pallet suppliers or being able to connect and finance, uh, have bringing in another supplier for that material would seem to me to give you some competitive advantage when everyone else is facing the same difficult challenge. Yeah. And I think we've seen that in other industries, right? We've seen Apple do this when they know that they're going to change the model of their iPad or iPhone or iPod, and they go out and they buy future capacity for, you know, hard drives and flash drives and all that. So, you know, now that's because they're doing better projections of what they think they need. But I think you take that same mentality and you say, to your point about the pallets, I'm sure there's someone out there way smarter than me that's figured this out and that has somehow projected or cornered the market for, you know, EU certified pallets. And, and hey, for the near term, that person can probably charge a premium on those because UK businesses have no choice. You know, they have to have these products. And in the near term, they can't move goods in or out without having these pallets. And if you're the only one that has those pallets, well, you know, you can charge an arm or a leg, no pun intended, but it's true. So I think it's it's absolutely something, of, you know, with regards to, to being able to take advantage of these situations, but also being able to better mitigate your risk. And if you don't have that visibility, you can't start being smart about it or predicting or projecting or building your own sort of models about what you think might happen. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt to me that these things happen and, and that there are various ways to handle them. And that the reality is sometimes you do have to hoard inventory or pay more for something that has always been a very inexpensive commodity as situations change. But as you move forward and so that your costs don't get overwhelming, you have to consider the bottom line. And that one of the best approaches to doing this is looking at the supply chain holistically from the beginning so that when these do arise, you're at least somewhat nimble and able to respond accordingly. Yep, and that's the challenge. And I think that's what Brexit is only amplifying that on a, obviously on a much larger scale because it is something that's impacting a nation or a set of nations, the European and the United Kingdom, and then a massive you know union, the European Union, which has itself a number of nations. And I think that's the part that's uh, that's also just amplifying and magnifying what the issues are with that. And so predictions, how this plays out. Obviously, you've just spent some time over both in the UK and on continental Europe, have been meeting with people on both sides, whether they're 
policymakers or people running supply chains within those respective regions. How does this play out? Are there going to be winners and losers? (laughs) (laughs) I I think we've already seen, yeah. We've already seen some winners and losers. I think the losers are, unfortunately, Theresa May and her party, right, who have just not been able to get something through, even though having all this time. To be blunt, I don't think there's any winners, and, and maybe I'm, I'm showing my bias here. I certainly certainly think that the European Union has been more of a benefit than a detriment. I think the United Kingdom in particular has been treated with, you know, as much as they might cry that they are being abused in this. I think I, I look at the United Kingdom before the referendum and I felt like they were being treated with kid gloves. I mean, the fact that they were able to keep their own currency, stay out of the euro, and they have special rules for a lot of the stuff they do, to me, as a more Eurocentric person, being a Frenchman, I look at it and say, you know, hey, you guys had it so great already. Like, why are you crying now? But I think in the end, you know, my heart wishes that they would have a second referendum and stay in the union because I do believe that a lot of the people that voted to get out were misled. You know, we know what's what's happened in other elections about social media and other things like that where people were misled or, you know, misinterpreted what they want to be calling fake news. So I think there's an aspect of that. But I think my brain tells me that Brexit will happen. I don't think that that anybody has the courage to really go for a second referendum. I think that Theresa May will continue to ask for extensions. I think that we will see that Brexit occur probably later this year because the European Union will grant another extension. And I think it will be, you know, closer to a sort of a medium hard Brexit, if you will, because I think the Theresa May's party will push hard for that. That will pass, barely, and I think she will then obviously resign. I think you'll see a lot of turmoil then happen within the United Kingdom for a bit. I think there's the possibility of places like Scotland asking to leave the UK and join the EU. That would create another whole other issue. But I think before the end of this year, you will see the UK separate from the EU. You will see there be some fairly harsh rules imposed. And I think in the end of the day, what will happen is, you know, people will pontificate and talk about it. But the day after it happens, I think a lot of supply chains and businesses breathe a sigh of relief, regardless of the outcome, because they will at least know what the outcome is, and then they will be able to plan for it. And I think that's what they're looking for, in a way. I don't think that they care as much one way or the other of what the Brexit looks like. They just want to know is what does it look like? And how do we plan for it? Certainly, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of different positions one could take individually on things like this. But at the end of the day, the job in the supply chain is to keep things moving and to keep them moving at a cost that makes sense for everyone. So it will be interesting to see this play out and which technologies may be able to help companies as they try to smooth that transition over time. But yeah, it has been a big piece of news and it's been interesting getting this perspective from Yuki. Thanks so much for joining the show. This has been an episode of Supply Chain Radio. I'm Matt Gunn. Thanks for listening.